Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, I was going to start by saying Lord Adonis, but you don't like me called Lord Adonis, do you? No, no. Andrew, please. No, I'm Otherwise, not... I might have to call you Lord Owen, and you wouldn't like that, would you? <laughs> when I was a kid, when David Owen, who is Lord Owen, uh, appeared on on the radio and television, I did say to my parents that I thought they were talking about me. So, ah, well, in due course, Owen, it happens to most most serious figures on the left. They end up in the House of Lords. What Lord Owen Jones of Stockport? <laughs> I can't. See that. I want to start, Andrew, uh, knocked off my cap. I want to start. So Keir Starmer, now you did support Keir Starmer in the leadership contest. Why has it gone so wrong? Uh, well, he hasn't been able to hold his own so far against Boris Johnson. And the question is whether he can establish a, a way of doing so. Uh, he, he thinks it's because of the vaccine and um, the vaccine bounce. Uh, maybe there is an element of that. I mean, clearly, we have been in extraordinary circumstances for the uh, for the last year, I would notice that uh, uh, it looks as if uh, they're going to be an election upset in Germany. There was a massive upset in the United States. It's not the case that um, uh, governments uh, don't lose elections or haven't been behind in the polls because of COVID. So I think we need to be a bit more self-critical than that. And uh, I think there's a need for a much clearer message. And I also think it was a big mistake when I about as loudly as I could possibly say it. I think it was a very big mistake voting for Boris Johnson's Brexit deal, because if uh, Labour's going to win an election, it has to have a strong economic message. You can never win elections without being uh, the party that is most trusted on the economy. And uh, the big problem that we're having, as we see with the truck drivers uh, shortage at the moment, is that uh, Brexit is just causing huge economic dislocation. And not to talk about the biggest issue causing dislocation or one of them I mean you can debate how far it's COVID one of the biggest issues is going to give you a big problem so I think um, uh, I wish Keir well uh, I obviously want him to uh, do well at the next election but I don't think you can duck talking about the biggest issues facing the country if you're going to uh, have a credible electoral message and I think you start addressing Europe as part of that. I mean, take Brexit and Labour and Brexit. So, because I think this is one area where I'm more sympathetic to Labour's position than than you are, uh, even though I think we're both very critical of the Labour leadership from very different angles. Because when you say, you know, Labour needs, in order to win an election, it needs to appear credible on the economy, which is a kind of standard, I suppose, argument in, in British politics. In the 2016 referendum campaign, the British electorate were told in no uncertain terms over and over again by titans of industry, by politicians, do not press the big red button. If you press the big red button, there will be economic calamity. George Osborne said there'd be a punishment budget and so on. And 52% of the population against what we campaigned for, I campaigned across the country during that referendum campaign, the rallies were a lot smaller than the Remain rallies after the referendum campaign, it should be noted. Um, so yeah, I wish those people had joined during the referendum campaign. But is they, they decided that they had more other things they cared about other than the economy. So if Labour now turns round, because a lot of those people voted for Labour in 2017, but they didn't vote for Labour in 2019, if they think Labour saying, well, we don't think Brexit's a good idea and it's economically disastrous those voters aren't going to vote for the Labour Party. Well, you need to separate out a lot of separate issues here, don't you? There's a, a debate about the past, and understanding the past, of course, is always crucial to getting the future right. It is my view, which was never tested, that didn't happen, is that had there been a second referendum, uh, we would have stayed in the European Union. Polls showed that consistently, uh, all of the arguments moving that way. There was a strong argument of principle, which actually was, had been supported by Rees Mogg and many of the Brexiters, that there should be a referendum on the actual terms of Brexit. And the 
crucial thing is in 2016 when people voted almost no one was voting to make themselves poorer on the contrary as you and i know there were these red buses going around the country saying there'd be 350 million more a month a week for the nhs and most people voting for brexit did so as polls again showed afterwards believing they'd be better off as it became clear that that wasn't going to be the case i think in a second referendum uh, there would have been a majority against so the history is important we'll never be able to know uh, that definitively because of course there wasn't a second referendum instead there was a general election and a general election is about a much wider set of issues than do you or don't you want uh, uh, Brexit to proceed but on the issue we face now uh, I'm not um, stupid enough to think that we could go straight back into the European Union again I'm not calling for any uh, immediate or early steps towards rejoin the problem which we've got at the moment which does go unfortunately though to Labour's policy is the backing of Boris Johnson's Brexit deal because the Brexit deal which took us fully out of the customs union fully out of the single market didn't even have any agreement at all covering large uh, proportions of economic activity in which we're engaged is the proximate cause of our a lot of our economic problems at the moment in particular the big shortage of truck drivers at the moment because of the absence of, of eu-wide truck drivers and the refusal of the government to issue short-term visas now my good friend rachel reeves tweeted out yesterday that the government should be held accountable for the truck drivers crisis without mentioning brexit which is the elephant in the room on this so it's my view that the right course for us to take is to critique seriously critique boris johnson's deal and propose to renegotiate it. I think we should, at the next election, be proposing to re-enter the customs union and a large part of the single market. That's not reversing Brexit. There are plenty of other European countries that have roughly that arrangement with the union and they're not in it. Uh, the Swiss, the, the Norwegians and others. And I think unless we're in that space, we will have our hands tied behind our back on this central argument about what you're actually going to do to see that we have the same level of economic activity as before Brexit, just allowing for steady state. Leave aside all the other things that probably you and I would want to see happening in terms of big investment in infrastructure, what Biden calls hard infrastructure and soft infrastructure. I think we need to be doing both. All of that, that's on top of what we need to do to see if we don't actually slide back. So I don't think you can stop talking about Brexit. And I know that uh, there are a lot of people in the Labour Party who think if you just don't mention the word, then somehow everything's going to be fine. But, you know, um, you can't, it's like not mentioning the weather when you're in the middle of a thunderstorm. Uh, you, you can't suspend disbelief on things that really matter to the country. And if you do, as an opposition party, then I'm afraid you definitely lose an election. But, look, I was, the kind of Brexit deal you're outlining, I was happy with. I mean, I can, you know, I come from a different perspective than you in the sense that I am critical of the European Union. And, uh, you know, I, I, would, I would say undemocratic features and certain neoliberal elements as I would see it. But I still believe on balance, Remain was a much better option than Leave. And that's why I passionately campaigned for Remain in that referendum. Lots of people, of course, who vote for Remain don't paint their faces with EU flags. They were skeptical about elements of the EU, but they felt Remain was better um, on, on balance. And I suppose the frustration I have is, after that referendum campaign, my belief was that we lost and we needed to avoid a culture war. And the best way we could do that is by having as close a relationship with the EU as possible and then focus on domestic issues instead. And that would involve a customs union, for example. But the problem is, wasn't the problem that people like yourself but was never good enough. It always had to be cancel Brexit altogether. And in the end, Remainers, ardent Remainers, such as yourself, bet the house, but didn't just lose the house. You lost the garage and the kids as well. You lost everything when we should have just settled for a softer Brexit deal, which we could have made work, which wouldn't have been what you wanted, but it would have been better. Well, the problem was that Theresa May, who was then Prime Minister, never proposed that. We don't know, because again, you're rerunning history in two respects there. What would have happened if she had proposed something like some combination of Switzerland and Norway, which remember many of the Brexiters said uh, in the referendum campaign, including Farage and Johnson himself, that that's what they wanted. 
didn't myself, because I know you, you paint me as uh, sort of an ardent uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Remainer, stroke rejoiner who's, who doesn't compromise. I've always believed in compromise. My God, you can't be a, the kind of centrist that I've been for 30 years without being in favour of compromise. I didn't actually start campaigning Brexit until a, a year after the uh, referendum, until the 2017 election. And it was actually after the 2017 election that I started campaigning on Brexit for two reasons. Firstly, before then, I, I thought that Theresa May would get us to some version of the customs union and the single market, because that was so obviously the place to go, some combination of Switzerland and Norway. And uh, she didn't. Amazingly, in her Lancaster speech at the end of 2016, she defined as a red line doing very things Brexiters pre-referendum had said would be Brexit, which was a relationship similar to Switzerland and Norway. The second thing happened, of course, was the 2017 election itself, which used to hung Parliament. And it was manifestly clear that in that election, that one of the big concerns that the, uh, the country had under her leadership was the whole direction of her policy on Europe. Now, it was inchoate, because, of course, most voters don't debate the finer points of customs unions and uh, uh, single markets and, and trade relations and all of that. But it was clear that there wasn't a convincing majority uh, for her form of hard Brexit. So I think we were right to contest it. I hoped uh, all the way until 2017 that she might just propose customs union and single market. But even after she did, it is true what you said, Owen, that uh, the Labour Party's position uh, at that stage was that they would have supported the customs union and some form of the single market. My view at the time was that. Um, uh, given the state of public opinion, you would, you would probably want to ref cancelling Brexit entirely. It would have been the best policy. But in a sense, that's academic, because neither Theresa May nor Boris Johnson, they're having a debate about what we might have done had they actually proposed full British membership of the customs union and all of the elements of the single market, which uh, credibly, uh, we don't know. That was never unfortunately. No, but, but the argument surely should have been, and I should be very clear here, I opposed the second referendum until the European parliamentary elections. My view then was the middle ground and Brexit had been scorched. I mourned that fact because I felt there should have been a middle ground on Brexit. Here I am, radical left winger, talking to a, a centrist about the need for a middle ground on a particular issue. And that was, I thought, destroyed because leavers on one side said any Brexit deal wasn't really Brexit. And the Remain official Remain campaign said any Brexit deal is unacceptable, therefore we have to reverse Brexit. And you had a polarisation of the electorate and Labour members. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think I, I, yeah, but I don't think that's a fair critique, Owen. It's government and the people who control policy who have the initiative. And at every stage, they went towards the extreme. I mean, in a sense, I think probably you and I sort of united on this in that neither of us would have proposed what they were proposing. And I don't think you're saying you would have accepted what uh, they're proposing, uh, they, uh, or, or are you saying you we should have accepted? I think in, uh, in Theresa May deal, which was a long way short of membership of the customs union and, and involved leaving the single market entirely. It, almost no one in the Labour Party at that stage, not including the people who who didn't want a second referendum, was in favour of, of accepting that. If she had moved fully towards the centre. She never did adopt the centre position. Remember, after the 2017 election, when she lost her majority, even at that stage, as I say, I wasn't campaigning on Brexit then, because what I thought she would do was to offer Jeremy Corbyn a Brexit deal. That's what I thought she would, because that was so obviously what the electorate wanted, was some kind of deal in the middle. And the obvious deal would have been to have moved towards the Labour Party by offering the customs union and a large part of the single market, including maintaining key but, elements of freedom of movement. What did she do? She did a deal with the DUP, with no, the I extremists agree, but... in Ulster, in order not to move to the centre. So unfortunately, I think we were skewered by the absence of leadership from successive Tories. And what I, thought, I, that is. I agree with you on that. I totally agree with you on that. I suppose the point I was making is about the Labour position, because the Labour position ended up embracing a second referendum. And then some Remainers, by the way, then said, that's not enough. We've got to cancel uh, Brexit altogether without a referendum altogether. Yeah, well, that was never there. 
I, you were never there, and that's very important to say, of course. But I suppose the point I'm making is I ended up accepting a referendum because I felt Labour had no choice and the membership would oppose it, impose it at conference anyway. But wouldn't it have been better? This is the point I'm making. I think if Labour had clearly defined a Brexit deal earlier on in 2017, it wouldn't have been dragged into that uh, position uh, or it would have been harder because the People's Vote campaign filled a vacuum. But wouldn't it have been better in hindsight for people like yourself instead of successfully? I mean, the Remain campaign succeeded in bringing Labour to that position to have instead campaigned on the basis of a soft Brexit deal for Labour to campaign and not another referendum, because that would have avoided partly the calamity we ended in, which is a hard Brexit deal. Well, the, the only point I'm making is I don't think that that was credible as a solution to the problem. I mean, Labour obviously could have adopted any position it liked on Brexit, but it wasn't credible as a solution because neither Theresa May nor Boris Johnson, who succeeded her, were prepared to do that. In a general election, so, because there would have been a general election. Well, in, 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 well, in a... Yeah, but the... A, by the time you came to a general election, and, and here we are going to different general elections are about choice of leadership for the country, and the country was never going to choose Jeremy Corbyn as its leader. That's part of the reason why it was so clear to me we had to go to a second referendum. There was never the slightest scintilla of hope, apart from a complete implosion of the Conservatives during the election campaign, twice running, and that happened in 2017, and that still wasn't enough to deliver an election to Jeremy Corbyn. So it was virtually incredible that it could have happened in a second election. And that's part of the reason why I thought it was so sensible to try and separate out. You know, I never did. Um, I stayed in the Labour Party all through it. A lot of my friends left. They weren't prepared to accept Jeremy Corbyn and the anti-Semitism and all of that. I didn't. I stayed, because it's always been my view that uh, the, you, you need to unite the radical forces in the country not divide them, but it was also my view, I never said this publicly, I didn't want to, Labour to lose, but it was my view that he wouldn't be able to win an election. So therefore, as a Labour Party policy, it wasn't going to work. It might ironically have worked better for Theresa May, because if Theresa May had done it, I think she could have got a deal with Labour on some kind of customs union plus single market, and that might have saved her premiership. But in a sense, that's all history. What we're discussing now is moving forward. And the I think probably the difference between us and actually a large part of the Labour Party and uh, I think the centre ground of politics at the moment which is causing difficulty is that you cannot pretend that big things that are hitting the country don't exist. Brexit does exist. It's causing real deep economic problems and unless Labour has a critique of it I don't think it's going to be able to win an election. So the only guide we have to the future is the past. And so I'm not saying this to regurgitate history, but the analysis of the 2017 election, it strikes me, is important to understand where Labour goes next. Because a standard analysis, a centrist analysis of 2017 is, one, it was about Remainers' revenge. Uh, lots of Remainers flocked to the Labour Party in order uh, uh, to, because they were angry about Brexit. And two, the Tories imploded during that campaign. But the polling after that election showed that only 7% or so of Labour voters voted Labour on the basis of Brexit. The country hadn't polarised by that point. And Labour did very well in lots of Leave areas like Hartlepool, which now Labour have gone on to lose, for example, where a lot of the UKIP vote went to the Labour Party. And the second point about a Tory implosion during that campaign is it had a lot to do with the so-called dementia tax. But that was a policy the Conservatives put to the electorate, which Labour and its allies successfully framed as the dementia tax. So the Tory implosion was in part simply a successful Labour campaign. And back then, when I spoke to MPs who I would associate with the Blairite wing of the Labour Party, they were absolutely clear with me that the manifesto and the policies in that manifesto had an absolutely pivotal role in the surge that Labour experienced, which was the biggest increase in Labour's vote since 1945. The same vote share Tony Blair won in 2001. Didn't win because obviously the Tories themselves had a huge vote surge. So I suppose, wouldn't you look back at that? And this is why I don't agree that it was impossible that such a prospectus could win because there was a hung parliament. Uh, Labour did have a huge vote surge. Um, one of its biggest vote shares and, and the, the only time since 97 its vote and seats went up. 
surely you would accept there is something to learn there and those policies in that manifesto are not policies Labour should be discarding. Well, I think probably this is another point of difference between us, but I'm sort of very um, uh, unsentimental about election results. You win or you lose them. And we lost. And we didn't lose narrowly. That was a great myth. I'm afraid it was a Corbyn myth that we lost narrowly. We lost decisively. Labour won uh, 262 seats in the 2017 election. In 2005, which you said was, uh, uh, was which you were comparing it with, no, 2001. Labor won, 2001. Well, 2001, Labour won 403 seats. That's how elections in, And in 2005, Labour won um, uh, 355 seats. So in 2005, which was the third Blair election, which uh, uh, my Corbyn friends tell me was a sign that we won the slide and all of that, Labour won nearly 100 seats more than in supposedly Corbyn's near... Uh, taking of power in 2017. Well, I'm afraid there's a big difference between 355 seats and 262, That's and the difference is, is between forming a government and uh, being in deep opposition. I mean, it's as simple as that, really. But you're not comparing like and like, though, are you? Because the difference is what, what each kind of... You've got to compare the, the, the election before. Because obviously... As you know, Labour did, I mean, it's partly our electoral system. Labour won the same vote share that Tony Blair did in 2001 with a landslide. And you're quite right, in 2017, ended up with roughly the same number of seats as Gordon Brown in 2010, even though they had 10 points higher vote share. Oh, that and, we lost, and we lost that election too, of course. You're quite right. But the, the difference is, in 2017, just two years earlier... Labour suffered a terrible defeat. They lost the whole almost of Scotland, which is a historic heartland of the Labour Party. So you're right. Clearly, Labour didn't win. I think we can all see Labour didn't win in 2017. Uh, I think we all lived through that period. But the difference is, in 2017, no one thought two years after the 2015 election, Labour could ever win an election within that space of time because it was such a terrible defeat in 2015. The point was the vote increase, the increase in seats and in votes, because people would look back at Neil Kinnock and go, well, he brought Labour closer to power. That's how he's often portrayed by the right of the Labour Party, because he, he took Labour away. He improved their vote share. He increased the number of seats. So why wouldn't you look at Corbyn and go, well, at least in 2017, things moved in the right direction after a terrible defeat, even if well, our electoral system meant that wasn't enough to win? Well, it, it wasn't just the electoral system. It, uh, general elections are a choice of leaders, a choice of prime minister in our system. And my next book, we, we've both got books we're working on. My, my next book is, uh, my essays on politics over the last 30 years, it's called It's the Leader Stupid. And it charts British politics in the last century by leaders. And it is almost invariably true, almost invariably, there are a tiny number of exceptions, that the most popular leader wins a wins the general election, the choice of the two, the leaders of the two major parties. Sometimes it's confused when there's a very strong third party where you've got two clear uh, uh, leading parties that happen. And it's not all, by the way, just the case in Britain. It's true of almost all democracies. Almost invariably, the strongest leader, the leader most highly rated by the electorate wins. And you know, uh, Owen, there's another theme that comes through very, very strongly. Leaders who've lost one election virtually never go on to win a second. You mentioned Neil Kinnock, he lost his second election. Jeremy Corbyn, it was my view, I said this in a prospect article that I published in the summer of 2017, which is in fact the, the, an edited version, which is the first essay in this new collection I'm bringing out. I predicted then to howls of derision from uh, Corbynistas and some political scientists and others, that the surest reason for thinking that Jeremy Corbyn was going to lose the next election, which I predicted he would, is that he'd lost the previous one. It's an almost invariable rule. There are only a handful of exceptions internationally, not just in Britain, of leaders who lose their first election, who go on to win a second. So I, my view, of, I mean, it's a historical debate now, and I'm not sure it's of much value to us now in 2021, is that we made a fundamental mistake by not being serious about power. And if you're not serious about power in a democracy, you're never going to achieve it. The people who are most serious about power in our democracy are the Conservatives. They're serious as a party. They really only exist to put together 
as right-wing a program as they can get past the electorate. That's what they exist for, I mean, in terms of their elites. And their elites, you know, I've got a big essay on Boris Johnson in the current issue of Prospect entitled Prime Etonia. You know, we've got this massive resurgence of the old elites in England who've taken over the country. They are only really in it to exercise power. Boris Johnson doesn't really believe in much at all, apart from the right of people like him to run the country. And the big and regrettable fact is that apart from Tony Blair, Labour hasn't had a leader in the last generation. The last two generations, actually, since Harold Wilson, who was as serious about power as the Conservative leader they were up against at the time. And uh, the reason why we're now getting into our second decade of opposition, I'm afraid. With Keir Starmer, in Keir Starmer's leadership election, he committed to 10 pledges, so-called. And these were 10 pledges which were essentially many of the radical domestic policies associated with Corbynism, increased taxes on the, on the rich, on big business, uh, scrapping tuition fees, public ownership, no illegal wars, uh, rights for migrants, we could go on. There's a whole range of commitments that were made. Now, whether, we, whether you or I agree with them, I do agree with those 10 pledges, isn't it a problem with politicians, because we often denounce Boris Johnson correctly as a man who says one thing and does another. He lies to the electorate, he's dishonest. The only currency, you know, when you lose your currency of honesty as a politician, you're bankrupt, you can't get it back. And the dishonesty and lying of politics has corrupted our democracy. Surely that should apply to Keir Starmer. Surely if he ran on the basis that if elected as Labour leader, he would stay tr loyal to those domestic policies, he has a democratic duty as a basic act of political integrity to stick to them. Otherwise, he's just yet another dishonest politician corrupting our democracy. Well, he's absolutely got a, an obligation to stick to, as far as he can, because circumstances change, stick to what he, he puts in and encourages us all in the Labour Party to put in the party's manifesto. That's, that's certainly true. And... Um, Remember, Tony Blair actually put the manifesto for the 1997 election to the members. All the key elements of the manifesto were put in, and that was deliberately done so that we couldn't get a betrayal narrative, because his analysis, which I think, was correct, of the reason why the party had fallen out of love with the previous Labour government, including people we now laud, like Harold Wilson, who was accused of betrayal the whole time while he was leader, is uh, precisely because they didn't deliver uh, what was uh, in the manifestos. And so he was determined to define a manifesto which had the support of the party and uh, then uh, expect that to be held to it when he was in government. And indeed, actually, there isn't much of a critique of Blair which, which says that he didn't do what he said he was going to do. On, on the contrary, what the left don't like about Blair is what he said. It's not that he didn't do what he said. They didn't like what he said in the first place. I think that was part of, uh, of your problem with him. So my, my view on Keir Starmer is that he has a lot of leeway until he defines the manifesto. Um, and I certainly don't think he should be held to what he says in the leadership election. He has to be honest with the party and say, look, my view, now having looked at the position that we're going to face in 2024, 2025, whenever the election comes, is that um, uh, this should be our programme. And I think he then needs to win support from the party for it. But I don't think that, that needs to be to defined in ASPIC in, uh, in commitments he gave in, in a leadership election two years ago. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, I mean, the problem now he has is no one knows what he stands for. There's no clear vision that the Labour Party's offering, and it that's cut through. But I'm interested. Yeah. Oh, go on. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He has got to uh, define it. Indeed, he hasn't made... Uh, a speech which really defines what he stands for since he became leader. We're now well into, we're coming up to the second anniversary of his leadership. And, uh, you know, we're still waiting for that speech. Now, um, maybe he'll make it at the party conference and uh, let's hope he does. So you're at, I'm interested, your, your own approach, your own, I suppose, attitude towards the left. And we, do you remember, we met up, it was, it was a beautiful afternoon. We met up for, we did a previous interview uh where we and this was 2018 the beginning of 2018 um and i think you know we had a lovely evening afternoon we we chatted about all sorts of things people can check out the video and you said to me that i was gonna i was this critical role in any new referendum campaign that i would mobilize the under 30 i did class. i was i was really I, hoping you were gonna do all that i know i know and you said, <laughs> no, there wasn't a, a second referendum so maybe you would have been if there had been. you're quite right but you said <laughs> you've got this big following and all the rest of it and then Two, two and a bit years later, you, you write, Labour will never recover until the Marxist ideas of Owen mm. and his far-left mm. fanatics are marginalised, which obviously sounds a bit like you want me purged from the Labour no. Party. Well, no, what's I'm not in favour of purging. Far-left. I don't do purges. But I, I do... I, I, what does far-left do What does far-left mean? I, I, do I do big what debates. What's my far-left? Uh, you support mass nationalisation, Owen, don't you? I, I don't. I, I think I think that's an idea it. that's been tried, tested to destruction, and all it leads to is uh, is huge bills for governments, and not necessarily any improvement. Certainly not improvements to public services over and above what you can get by regulating them. I could go on through the list. So there are differences between us. But let me be clear: when we did that interview two years ago, the biggest issue in British politics, which was overwhelming us was Brexit. And what I'd hoped we were going to do was to build a big, strong coalition, including people from the far left, the soft left, the centre, the Liberals, a lot of, of wet toys as well, you know, the Heseltines and the Dominic Green so on, which would come together in a referendum on Europe. And it's been my view, but I, I, I'm serious about power. I believe that politics and power really matter, is that you should define what is the thing you're going for next. And build the biggest possible coalition you can behind it, because that's how you win, particularly in a first-past-the-post electoral system like ours, which penalises parties that split and splinter parties. That's always been my view, and I've been completely honest about it. Now, my view also, when it comes to general elections, and then we were in a context where I thought we were moving towards a referendum, when it comes to general elections, I think you can only win general elections from the centre. Now, I accept that the centre moves, the Tories are quite good, by the way, at moving the centre to the right. They've moved it a long way to the right, just in the, in the last 10 years. And Labour governments tend to move the centre to the left, which the Blair and Brown government did too. But accepting that the centre isn't a completely constant um, phenomenon, nonetheless, you do win it from the centre. And I am pretty sure that another trillion pound programme of mass nationalisation and uncosted spending commitments like the last election is not the centre so, and the British people unfortunately aren't going to vote for that. So I mean de democratic public ownership just to clarify is what I support, a democratic ownership by workers, consumers, service users but if we look at the polling uh, when it comes to nationalisation of utilities, energy, rail, water, a large majority of the British electorate support all of those things, including, it should be said, millions of Conservative voters. Now, you might think that's... But that's, but that's a complete fallacy, though, no, because that's making a, mistake of, making a mistake of asking people what they think of individual issues as against the programme, and governments are elected on a programme. And the problem when you put all these individual things together, each of which come with a price tag of many billions of pounds, is that what then happens is that the public... The Price tag. Now, 2019, we know this. You don't need to gain, because as you said, we should look at the history on this. 
The 2019 economic programme of the Labour Party was a massive vote loser. On the question, do you trust Labour on the economy, the Tories had a massive lead in 2019. At the same time as Labour's some of Labour's individual policies, uh, including, you know, dear to my heart, a better railway, uh, that some of those individual policies were popular. And you just have to learn from that. If you're going to go into an election with massive spending commitments, a large part of which is to buy assets, state buying assets, then you've got to be pretty sure that you can persuade the public to pay the bill. They think it's worthwhile. Now, we've been there. We, we did it last time. They voted against it massively. Surely the right thing, Owen, is now to move on from that. Surely you're not going to... You've just accused me of wanting to fight the last battle on Brexit. Well, you're fighting the battle which we've lost almost consistently over the last 40 years on public ownership. I mean, let's just move on from it. I I knocked on I don't know how many doors in 2019, and not a single person said to me, I would like to vote for Labour, but I just really can't stomach public ownership of the railways. I mean, the fact is... It's the bill. If it you look the, back, it bill. it's not true. No, you look that's, that's missing the point. You can only do public ownership of all of these industries if no. you're going to buy the assets. It's and a, a good part of the reason why Labour lost the last election is that when people looked at the bill and what therefore was going to happen to their taxes, which they thought would then go through the roof, a trillion pounds worth of spending commitment, they voted Tory. No, and I'm afraid that will happen surely, next time if we go down the same road again. Surely the difference is, if we look at 2017 and 2019, is in 2019, the reason I don't buy this analysis at all, is in 2019, there's no question that Jeremy Corbyn himself had become very, very unpopular. And we won't debate the reasons why, that's just an objective fact. He was very, very unpopular by December 2019. But the difference between 2017 and 2019 is in 2017, actually, front and centre were policies like public ownership, which were very popular. And the polling showed that at the time. MPs who didn't agree with the policy or believed that put together those policies would be seen as too radical by too much of the electorate. They all conceded, and I spoke to them, I knocked on doors with them, that on the doorstep that was popular and was bringing in more votes. Yeah, but we lost that election too, Owen. We did. So comparing we... two elections which we lost isn't very helpful when you're trying to work out how to win one. Is it it? Isn't. The elections we won were 1997, 2001 and 2005, and we had no commitments for the public ownership in any of those. But the, the point was in 20... And people weren't scared about us managing the economy. In 2017... In, in 2017, economy. Labour gained ground. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, but we still lost the election. Of massively. course, but, but, but Labour lost the election so badly in 2015. Yeah. Why not? Why not learn some lessons? But why not learn some lessons only from elections that we've won? And one of the constants of those is not that we weren't prepared to spend money. We had big investment plans, particularly in the 2001 and 2005 elections, but they were investment plans and in things that the public consciously and really seriously wanted: education and health and uh, local services in particular. The problem with nationalisation is that it's hard to get people to say that they're not in favour of more public control. When you pose that question, people are almost always in favour of it. But when you ask people what is the bang for their buck that they're getting, they don't feel it emotionally because there isn't an emotional bang for buck. In the case of education, health, local services, there's a massive bang for your buck, and that's why... The, the new Labour focus on the core public services, the ones that the state actually delivers directly, was, I think, the right one. And that's the direction we should go back in since. I hugely regret that no Labour leader since Tony Blair has talked much about education. You know, Jeremy Corbyn hardly ever talked about education. He spent a lot of time talking about Palestine and a whole load of other things. But education, 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 which is really, I can tell you, really matters on the doorstep. I, you know, I'm a former schools minister. You can hardly get away from the Andrew, doorstep when they realise who you are. And they want to talk about their local school. That's where Labour's got to be credible. Where we had good programmes of reform, like in London, where we transformed London schools, we also transformed Labour's electorate. Yeah, the reason I'm baffled, I'm genuinely baffled by that, is firstly, it's just a revision of history to say that Jeremy Corbyn spent much time at all talking about Palestine when he was Labour leader, because he just didn't. But the other point is about education. 
Labour had a national education service as the literal one of its main policies. Yes. And we couldn't and begin it, to say how a national education service would improve education. But, Creating big new services is what produces it. What we did when we were in after 1997 yes. was smaller class sizes, ending failing comprehensive schools, recruiting more teachers, Oh, there's a whole list of specific things. But that was a, which people was a national education service as a label, where nobody could begin to describe what it was going to do. This is why you've gone from say Labour didn't talk about education enough to say that a national education service is not the right approach. But the national education service, just FYI, if we look back to 2017, and again, I know you say we can't talk about 2017, but if you're going to say that Labour didn't talk about education in 2017, we didn't. Well, that's not true. What we, is did, the we, did, we didn't talk much about Andrew, it. Andrew, I mean, the we, National Education Service was not the big thing, Jeremy was Andrew, talking Andrew, about. the reason I am back on... Even if it was the case that there was... But in any case... No, 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 can I put this... this Organisations isn't, isn't what's going to make... This is important. This is important because it's about where we go from here. And I think it is important to learn from that. In 2017, one of the biggest videos that went viral was the was the national, well, at the time, it was the, it was the education unions. And that was because of per pupil funding cuts. And Labour committed in 2017 to reversing the per pupil cuts. And actually one of the big reasons Labour did well better than in 2015, not enough to win, but a big improvement on what happened in 2015, which was a disastrous election as well. In 2017, is Labour committed to increased spending on schools, and that did have a big impact on why people voted for the Labour Party. I mean, the polling afterwards showed that. I just, I'm just, that's why I'm confused, because the left does talk about these things. It talks, when lots of Blairites were saying, well, actually, we can't oppose all of these Tory cuts to services because we've got to seem economically credible, the left was saying, no, we've got to reverse all the cuts to e.g. education in full. Well, um... Uh, sorry, I, I don't quite know where to, to, to start and all that. I wasn't saying that, uh, uh, that, that there was no mention of education. I was saying it wasn't a key priority. Of course, there was a mention of education. As you say, there's a thing called the National Education Service. Though there was never any explanation as to what it would do. And people don't vote just for labels. They actually vote for things that are going to make a big difference to their local school. You know, smaller class sizes, sure starts, uh, academies... With, with completely setting up completely new schools with new leadership in areas where the comprehensive schools were failing. All of that really did resonate with the public. As I say, it's a large part of the reason, I think in places like London, where the reform was boldest, we, we did so well electorally. But, the, but in any case, it wasn't a key priority under Jeremy, and it seemed to be a key priority under Keir. I, I don't think Keir has made a single speech uh, about schools since he's become leader. Uh, people don't, you know, just take as given that you stand for things unless you tell them all the time. Tony Blair never stopped telling people that his three key priorities, do you remember? Education, education, education. People did clock that and they clocked that it was relevant to them. And it also helped build a very strong coalition between the centre and the left, because I'm glad to say that uh, despite um, all the efforts of the Tories to further privatise the education system, most of the middle class use state schools. I want more of the middle class to use state schools. I don't want to see increasing proportions going private. And therefore, they have a, a big interest in a state system that functions much, much better uh, year, year on year. Well, I mean, again, I mean, academies, I, 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 don't, I don't accept to popular amongst huge sections of the election, but we won't go well, around. Just look, at, just look where people choose to send their kids. Well, they send them generally. Oh, and that's the best. I can tell you the best, best guide to a successful education policy is where the parents want to send their children. They want to send them to the academies. So I think the public has made up its mind on that. Well, we'll and I hope we're not going to reverse that, because if so, we're going well, into the next election with all of, all of that. Uh, about well, we, we won't get bogged down in that, but educational attainment of schools is generally very weighted towards the social background of the pupils. But ah, oh, well, in that case, you think there's no hope. No, that's not but I, I think there's a lot of hope if we could uh, get the right reforms in place. And or I, I believe in massively expanding, or, or I believe in an all-out war on poverty and the many of the economic conditions which which create a lot of those educational inequalities. But just quickly on leaders, because you did mention you're right that uh, the popularity of leader matters. It does, of course, it does. Um, and obviously, actually, in the last election, Boris Johnson himself wasn't popular, but, but Jeremy Corbyn, I would say, often for very unfair reasons, but we won't go into that, he wasn't popular. But 
you keep calling for Tony Blair. Bring Blair back. Time for Blair. I'm just looking at these. Bring back Blair. So yet again, Tony Blair gives the leadership so desperately lacking. All we need, we would be in so much a better place if Tony Blair was prime minister. If only Tony Blair was prime minister. I mean, these are tweets which you tweet a lot about Tony Blair. Yeah, yeah you're right. Now, yeah. if I were to look at his polling, his polling now, okay, 95. This is YouGov. 95% of people have heard of him. Interesting, 5% haven't. His popularity, this is people who like him, is 18%. Disliked by 51%. He's one of the most unpopular political figures in the entire country. So how do you reconcile your view that what's needed is popular leaders when you are attached to someone who is catastrophically unpopular, to be honest? Well, we're back where we were a few minutes ago, that the past is a very good guide to the future. Tony Blair is the only Labour leader uh, alive who's won an election. And I don't think he's lost it, the capacity to define the centre in a progressive way that unites centre and left and can win it. Now, it's true that polls at the moment show high negatives, but that doesn't surprise me at all because it's not out there. Particularly that they're a bit on the Today program oh, and some of the it's not, it's, it's not it, the dynamic Blair, which is Blair that would uh, would win an election. It's my view. If Tony Blair was the Labour leader, he would defeat Boris Johnson in an election. Is a is dynamic. He'd be the one who would be leader of the opposition. Would be out the day after day defining the political battle and showing much much stronger grasp of uh, of what's going on and what needs to be done than Boris Johnson. And that. You can't compare that with a static view of the past, which is all that the polls show at the moment. Uh, that's my view. Uh, at the moment, no one, has, no one has come up with a better idea Can I ask of, you what's, uh, of what's likely to win. So I, I'm all ears for the leader which you're get, who you're going to suggest who no, is clearly think. going to sweep the, the country from you know, the, 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 the non-Tory side. Because at the moment, I can't see them. I hope that Keir might become that leader, but you just need to look at the polls at the moment to see he's not there at the moment. Do you think Tony Blair lacks exposure? He's, he's not a dynamic political leader at the moment. He's an occasional commentator on what's going on, which always, if you're a former prime minister, is all that you ever are. There's a huge difference between being defined by a view of the past and being an, an actual out there dynamic day-by-day -day leader. Now, we know what Tony Blair would be like if he was a dynamic day-by-day -day leader, because we have seen what he was like when he did that job. He was the most successful leader of the opposition in the history of the office, and the most successful election campaigner and winner of elections, also in modern history, actually in democratic history in England. Those are two pretty good starting points of thinking somebody could do the job, you know. Do you have no moral discomfort with a political figure who has taken his organisation, the Tony Blair Foundations and so on, um, millions of pounds from some of the most grotesque dictatorships on earth, including Saudi Arabia? Striking the other day, he was talking about the reasons for the rise of Islamic fundamentalist terrorism. Oh, he mentioned quite a few things. He didn't mention Saudi Arabia. And to be honest, if I ran an organisation which had got millions of pounds from the Saudi regime, which beheads people for being gay, dissidents, uh, treats women in an abominable way and is currently carpet bombing Yemen. I might not talk about Saudi in a particularly critical way either. Again, uh, whether it be, for example, his relationship with the dictatorship of Kazakhstan, which tortures and murders its opponents and which who requested PR advice when they mowed down striking workers. I mean, genuinely, do not think to yourself, whatever you think about Tony Blair in the past, I happen to think, the Iraq war and, to be honest, the relationship with Saudi Arabia cancelled an investigation into corruption uh, based on the alliance with Saudi Arabia. Do you not think that simply disqualifies someone as a legitimate person in public life, let alone as a politician? I, I think if he came uh, back, and he's, let me be clear, as far as I'm aware, he's not planning <laughs> to come back, so I'm simply giving my view, uh, he'd need to explain what he's been up to in the last 10 years uh, and what his foundation has been doing. Of course he would. Uh, but uh, he's, 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 he's pretty good at, uh, at uh, doing explanations, Owen. So I, I, and I, I th I'd be How very happy to see him. Well, I, I don't know, because I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I don't run his foundation. I don't know much about what his foundation does. So would you ever? I'm sure, I'm would sure you people ever? like you would, would, would do a very good job of having that discussion with him. And I think he would... Uh, 
people had come through that. They, would what you we ever have say seen that? in terms of what, let's be clear, what we have seen about what he's, he's done in the last two years mm-hmm. is he has provided by far, I think most people accept, by far the most compelling view on how we should handle the real crisis that the country's been going through, which was the COVID-19 crisis. Much, much better than Boris Johnson or Matt Hancock or any of these people, you know, in, in terms of the strategy that should be followed in the run-up to vaccinations, doing the double vaccination, how that should be handled, uh, procuring all the vaccines, all of these things has been one or two steps ahead of where the government has been all the way through. That's a pretty good indication of whether you want this guy to be uh, leading the country and whether they're going to be able to appeal well, to um, the centre ground in a serious way. I mean, apparently, by the way, uh, he was in regular contact with Matt Hancock and Matt Hancock briefed that actually what Tony Blair kept doing was the reason he was one step ahead, as you put it, is he kept divulging what the government was well, doing. I don't, think I, I don't think I would take Matt, Matt Hancock's word against Tony Blair, if you don't well, mind. <laughs> Tony Blair, paragon of, of honesty. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think with the Saudi thing, by the way, Saudi Arabia, because I don't think there is a legitimate explanation is the point I'm making. I don't think it's a small issue either. Saudi Arabia is an abhorrent regime yeah i agree with you by the way you wouldn't you you wouldn't expect money from saudi arabia if you organize it there isn't a legitimate explanation i completely i I completely agree with you the current uh, saudi regime particularly after the the uh uh, the murder which uh, almost everyone accepts now is conducted by the uh crown prince and his uh on his instructions uh that uh, it's not a good idea to have a, a relationship with I went to many refugee camps and met your many children. And I have to say, as much as a Washington Post columnist being murdered in that way was disgusting, it should have taken the murder of so many little kids for people to be more concerned. But just fine, let's talk about Boris Johnson. I want to wrap up on a kind of unity. Boris Johnson, as things stand, we he has presided over one of the most catastrophic handlings of COVID on earth. 150,000 or so of our fellow citizens have died about one in every 430 people. Uh, we've seen, as a consequence, a worse economic hit than, than many countries because of public health crisis and economic crisis go hand in hand. Uh, we've seen all sorts of things, whether it be they discharged uh, vulnerable patients from care homes into hospitals, they locked down repeatedly too soon, they released too early without a functioning test and trace system. I could go on forever. And yeah, you know, he's... He's, they've still got a big polling lead. What is it going to take? Because sometimes it strikes me that some associated with the political centre in this country, they always seem to believe that there's just one more scandal, one more scandal, and it will all come mm. crumbling down. And yeah, I don't believe that at all. What, well, mm. Which is great, because I agree with you, when mm. actually we need a compelling vision. So I want to mm. hear how on earth, because also these aren't the Os- Osborne Cameron Tories, mm. by the way, they're not cutting in the same way, they're doing strategic investment to weld together and consolidate their voter coalition, which is disproportionately older white homeowners in various parts mm-hmm. of the country. But they have a, they do have a vision. They're very strategic. They're not cutting in the same way. They've parked their tanks on some of Labour's lawns, if we're going to be brutally honest, on the economy. So what's your strategy for bringing down Boris Johnson, who has got away just one of those many things in his whole career would have destroyed, you'd think, any other politician. So what's what's the plan? Well, first of all, can I say I completely agree with you that uh, you underestimate Boris Johnson at your peril. This is a guy who's never lost a serious election, elected twice in what's supposed to be a Labour city, uh, and has won a general election easily, I mean, a near landslide, and is ahead in the polls at the moment. And, uh, you know, I, I go through a lot of this in my article about him in the current issue of Prospect. He is much, much stronger as a political commodity than people realise, partly because he's quite good at um, identifying populist issues, also because he's a genuine celebrity. There are only two genuine public celebrities that I've encountered in my, my time in politics in the last 30 years, and that's Boris Johnson and Tony Blair. So he's going to be tough to beat and much tougher than most people in the Labour Party realise. And it can only happen in two ways. Firstly, Labour has got to have a leader who is capable of of mobilising public opinion and support as effectively as Boris. Well, the jury's out on Keir at the moment. He's clearly got to do a lot more to demonstrate that he is that leader at the moment. Uh, He's not not in that position with the public. 
But the second thing is, and the two do go hand in hand, the leader only will become popular if they've got a, a really bold programme. Now, there are two areas to look at for bold programmes, in my view. First is the guy who's actually won an election decisively in the last year, Joe Biden, uh, who won it with a combination of real boldness on the economy. Uh, you know, this series is at the moment passing through Congress, nearly five trillion worth of investment in core infrastructure, things that really matter to the public to get America moving. What is very, I think, shrewdly defining as hard infrastructure and soft infrastructure. Hard infrastructure is the stuff that is, you know, the roads, the bridges, all of that that's going to get construction moving in the US. Soft infrastructure is, is children's services, schools and things that are really going to make a big difference. But the second thing they've got to do, and this, in a sense, brings us back to where I started, is you've got to have a view of getting the economy, the private sector economy moving, as well as the public sector economy. And I simply do not think you can do that from opposition unless you've got a critique of Brexit, because the single biggest thing holding back the private sector economy in Britain is Brexit and all of the associated effects. After it's leading to empty supermarket shelves at the moment is the direct result of it. And if you're simply saying, me too, to Boris Johnson on Brexit, I don't see how you can defeat him in an election. Because the one thing that's certain in an election is you've got a celebrity with a big policy out there, and you've got a, a non-celebrity who's the same policy, or roughly the same policy, you don't need to be a genius to work out who's going to win that election. So we need to do a lot. The Labour Party needs to under, undergo fundamental uh, transformation from where it is at the moment, if it's going to win. and. Uh, that time we started, don't you think? Well, don't you think? Just I mean, we just well, I was trying to end on unity, but just quickly, I mean, on Brexit, the one thing that Boris Johnson and his team want more than anything, almost, is for Labour to be in a position where they look like they want to reverse the Brexit result. And I think the problem is, to be honest, that a lot of the people now who are saying, no, 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 I just mean a softer Brexit, a lot of people who vote Remain looked back at a people's vote campaign, which, which claimed it wasn't about reversing Brexit, it was just about offering the people a final say on a deal. But they, people knew, just quickly, people knew that actually this was just their little slippery slope to get Remain to, to reverse the referendum result, that now we've ended up in a position where anybody now who questions the current Brexit deal, which I oppose and campaign against, uh, but anyone who opposes it, is so easily portrayed as someone who's just going to try and pull as much as they can and keep pulling until they reverse the referendum result. So yeah, we've ended up in a, in a pretty bad situation because if Labour now starts saying about altering Brexit, that is the terrain Labour, uh, the Tories want them to be on rather than on domestic issues. Well, I'm not sure that that's where well, it is a domestic issue, of course. Well, what it's I mean is on the priorities. Like so, I mean, empty supermarket shelves. Oh, and that's a pretty big domestic issue. I think the problem here is is um, it's being consistent. The Owens, who is really strong and bold and saying we want fundamental social transformation, is now dangerously close to saying, oh, but first thing we need to do is to vote for and con consistently support Boris Johnson on the biggest thing happening to the country at the moment, Brexit. The only point I would just make, you know, I think it's for the, the viewers to make up their mind, is you can't at one and the same time Say you want radical social and economic change, but your starting point is to agree with the Tories on the single biggest thing they're doing. I'm afraid um, I believe in not supporting the Tories on the biggest thing that they're doing, but being credible on the change beyond that. Maybe we could sort of meet in the middle on that, Owen. I'm a Brexit centrist. I'm very clear about that. But Gloria de Piero, who's from the Blair wing of the Labour Party, and she uh, represented the Leave seat. And she said to me that what she found disturbing was a lot of people who throughout their lives, like her, called themselves centrists, were suddenly now, you know, and about the need to follow public opinion, were suddenly, suddenly abandoned that for an unelectable uh, position. I just think with Brexit, we need to find a position which stops us having to talk about it so we can talk about things like education, which I'm very passionate about. That's the problem. And if, if Labour end up in a position where the Tories can go, aha, they're trying to do it all over again. Yeah, but you can't, you, 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 you can't not talk about empty supermarket shelves. No, I that's, agree. That's, I agree. You simply that's... can't not talk. And if you don't talk about if you if you refuse to talk about it, then why on earth wouldn't you re-elect the Conservatives? 
Because if what all you're going to do is just continue what they're doing, I agree then I can assure you the celebrity is the person who's going to win the vote on that one, not the non-celebrity. I agree, but then you, you would say about 2017 when I say the games, well, a loser's a lose, but you didn't say that about the referendum campaign where we... No, but I, I think we would have won... I think we would have won the, the referendum campaign because the referendum campaign would have been pretty well everyone, including most of the most respected leaders in the country, including, dare I say it, Tony Blair and John Major and people like this, against Boris Johnson. And I think we would have won that on, on the Brexit issue. But, you know, what, what this is showing, which I suppose is a, is a bit depressing, is that we're still a long way from forging a winning philosophy on the non-Tory side of politics. But what we have done, I think, if I'm reflecting on this great discussion we've had over the last hours, we've got a lot of the pieces of the jigsaw on the table. What we haven't worked out is how to put them together. And uh, that's what we've now got to try and do somehow. Andrew, it's an honour as always. We'll, we'll do this again in t every two years, I suppose. Yeah, let's do it. L but last time we did it in uh, Kings Cross Station, I much prefer to yeah, I'm currently in Malta for a wedding and you're currently in Italy, so... So we'll, we'll converge on some pancreas next time. Exactly, let's do that. That's a deal. All right. Cheers, Andrew. Cheers. Really appreciate it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.